He did. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And that is so wondrous that we can't truly fathom it in our earthly flesh, in our minds. But it doesn't change the fact that it is true. It doesn't change the fact that this God who created us, this perfect God, who didn't have to do anything for us, But instead of giving us and allowing us to receive what we deserved, He sent His Son to live and to die and to be resurrected in victory over death. But in the process of His death, He took our sins to that cross. He took the wrath. He took the suffering. He took the eternal damnation that was due to us. He loved us that much. Do we truly understand what we're singing? Do we understand what we're reading? Do we understand what we are professing with our mouths? Do we believe it in our hearts? It is a precious, precious gift that he's given us. A gift of eternity with him. As Alex mentioned already this morning and I've talked about this morning, we're going to be talking about joy and what joy is. I have a few questions for you to open up. Do you have a joyful life? Are you here this morning and are you truly glad to be alive? Have you been transformed by your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you confidently face the problems that this life throws at you? Do you enjoy your relationships with other people? Do others enjoy their relationship with you? That's what we want to talk about this morning, is joy. And exactly what that means to us as individuals. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, for the promise that you've given us. For the good news of great joy that you brought us, Father. Help us this morning as we look at that and what that truly means, Father. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that little baby was born in that manger over 2,000 years ago. No one in Bethlehem realized the significance of what had happened there that night except the child's parents. And they, only to a point, truly understand, understood the child they were holding and what it meant. They had been through a lot up to that point. They'd been visited by angels. They'd had these promises. They knew the miraculous events that had brought this child into being. But still, they didn't truly know the full scope of what was going to happen through the life of that baby. But it was about to change for them. And the silence that was surrounding and regarding the birth of our Savior was about to be broken in a supernatural way. Now, this was an amazing announcement that was coming that the Savior had been born. And he didn't come in some glorious way, he was in a stable. Among the animals, 
you know, if we had lived back then or if that was happening now, how would we have handled the announcement of the birth of such a Savior? Well, how do we handle announcements today? Well, first of all, it has to be Facebook official, right? Well, that's one way and one modern way we've started announcing things. But how do we, in general, how do we make things known? We look for people with a great deal of influence, don't we? Especially when we have a cause that we're promoting. We're looking for people of influence, people with connections who can endorse our cause, who can, with some authority, tell others about our cause and and advance it much quicker than we could if we just went to somebody who we considered a nobody. So I would say if we had an announcement like this to make today, we would go find a, a mayor or we would find someone in the public eye, a governor, a president, if we could reach him. Someone in the public eye who would, who would spread the word for us. We would have targeted, in this case, the powerful and the influential in Israel, wouldn't have we? The high priests the members of the Sanhedrin, the priests, the Levites, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. These are the people who we would have went to. They would have had influence at various levels. They would have had a pulpit to stand behind. They would have people who would have listened to them weekly. It would only make sense. It would only make common sense. That's how we would spread the news about something, wouldn't it? Well, how did God choose to reveal the glorious truth of the birth of His Son? Well, the first place He went was to the members not of great influence within government, in society. No, that's not who He chose. He went to the members of a lowly and despised group of the time. Who did the angels go to? They went to the shepherds. What does that mean? Who were the shepherds? Do we understand today? We have a few shepherds in the world today, but it's not a common job that we're familiar with, the duties. We don't know the job description of a shepherd, do we? Not really. Well, I don't know all the details of what they do. I knew they cared for the animals and kept them together, but what we want to focus on mainly this morning is what was their social status? What influence did they have? Well, they were near the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated and unskilled. And they were actually, in the time, they were increasingly viewed as dishonest. They were considered unreliable and distasteful, very distasteful characters, kind of crude, I guess you would define it. They just weren't someone that anyone would listen to with any authority or any confidence or even want to spend any time around. In general, that's the way they were considered at that time. To the point where they weren't even allowed to testify in court. They weren't considered a credible witness. And another factor that kind of counted against them, since sheep required care seven days a week, these shepherds were unable to comply with the man-made standards established by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had to work on Sundays. And with all this legalism that the Sadducees and the Pharisees had laid out, that the the priests had laid out, the shepherds just didn't fit. Now, they wanted the shepherds to work because somebody had to take care of these sheep. But by default, they just considered them less of a person because 
they weekly broke the Sabbath. So it's another mark against them. That doesn't mean at all, just because of these people's opinion, that being a shepherd was a dishonorable job. Moses and David were actually both shepherds at one point in their lives. The Old Testament requires, refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. This perception that these shepherds were such lowly people was just that, a stereotype of perception. God held them very high. But these shepherds, in fact, were, were lowly and humble people. Very humble people to be willing to serve in this way. With all of that description of how they rank socially, you wouldn't think that they would have been someone who would have been the first ones approached with this amazing, this wonder of wonders, this, this story, this truth, this fact that the Savior had been born. It would not have been the first person that you would have went and told. Not in our flesh. Well, just surmising a little bit, these shepherds that God chose to go to with, with, his, with the angel... They must have been, I believe that they were probably, and I don't know, but I believe that they were probably men of faith or God wouldn't have approached them. You see, the fact is that when this angel went to the shepherds, it fulfilled prophecy. It talked about these angels in in the Old Testament and Jesus reiterated it, that the, the lowly of lowliest would be the ones that would be approached, would be the ones that the good news would come through. It was so that no man could take credit for it. That all the glory would go to God. And then you had this supernatural event. Luke says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Can you imagine the scene? You're out in a field, tending to your sheep, doing your job, and it says the glory of the Lord surrounding you. Can you imagine how bright the sky was? I'd say it's unfathomable by us. But this angel appears in this brightness and tells you that you have to go see this baby. The Savior's been born. I think maybe filled with great fear is an understatement. I'd have been scared. I don't know about you. But to just think of that scene in my mind, if I was walking around at night and the, the sky just lit up and this angel appeared, I think I'd be a little more than filled with great fear. I would be thinking all kinds of things. But that's what these shepherds faced. These quote-unquote lowly shepherds. And that's the way God chose to bring this news first to the people of the time when Jesus was born. Well, what was the message that he brought to these shepherds? Good news of great joy. The same message that he has for us today, despite our social status. Despite where we fall in the eyes of other people, God holds us us each equal when we have a relationship with him. It's not dependent on who we are or who we know or what we have. It's because of his great love. Well, he brought them this message of good... This angel, this angel brought a message of good news and great joy. What is joy? 
Joy is not something that you can create or that you can obtain through hard work or purchases or activities. True joy is not merely an emotion. See, we get all worked up about happiness, don't we? I just want to be happy. You've heard people even make excuses for sinning, but I, I know God just wants me to be happy. Well, that's no excuse for sin. And God does not want you to sin so that you can be happy. That's not God's goal. C.S. Lewis had this quote. He said, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. You know, C.S. Lewis can get kind of deep sometimes. But as I read that, sta- that quote over and over again, I had to think, we look to pleasures of this life to bring us what we call joy. But all it really is is a temporary happiness. Because if we truly understand it, joy is a bedrock thing. Starts at the foundation of our faith and builds from there. It doesn't depend on any circumstances around us. So his statement is true. Pleasures are substitutes for joy. They're an attempt to manufacture joy. That doesn't mean that God is anti-pleasure. He gave us the, the ability to have pleasure. But he doesn't want our joy to depend on it. God created beautiful things. He created amazing sounds, amazing flavors. We all like to eat. And some things are just delicious to our taste buds, aren't they? He created the opposite sex and gave us a desire for that for multiple reasons. But one of those is for us to enjoy that pleasure. But he never intended for us to base our joy solely on what this earth has to offer as far as pleasures. Calvin Miller, a Protestant writer, wrote it this way. He explains it like this. Happiness is a buoyant emotion, an emotion that will float, that results from the momentary plateaus of well-being. If our circumstances are good, we're floating on those circumstances and we're happy. But when those circumstances plateau and they fall off, what happens? Our our happiness just vaporizes. It goes away when we depend on our circumstances. Good things, good circumstances, wonderful things that happen to us float happiness to the top of our emotional lives, don't they? When that bubble pops, happiness goes away. Joy, on the other hand, as I said, is bedrock stuff. It starts at the very essence of our being. Joy is a confidence that operates despite our moods. Joy is a certainty that all is well despite our circumstances. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11... For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, Kevin, you're saying all is well no matter how we feel. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That is a truth. That is a fact. 
many people are hurting. In the time that I've been at this church, I've walked with a number of you through some very difficult situations. Unexpected loss of loved ones. Trials that no one should have to face. Those things are real. Those things are painful. They hurt. They cause us to ask questions. But they don't change the truth that joy is present no matter what our circumstances because of God's great love for us and the gift that He gave us in His Son. So how do we get there? How do we always know that joy is present, joy is available, no matter what horrible circumstance we're facing? At this time, I want to watch, have you watch a testimony. It's about six minutes long, but I want you to pay attention to what this lady has to say and to hear her story. And then I'll come back up here afterwards. I have always walked with my head held high, but there's a very big difference why I walk with my head held high now than when I did 10 years ago. My name's Hannah, and this is my story. I was the sort of person that you'd cross the street to avoid, not because of what I looked like, but because of who I was. And my friends, they weren't my friends through love, but through fear. The hard, cold-hearted person I'd become through drug addictions and alcohol abuse turned me into somebody to be feared. A liar and a thief, only looking out for myself. An angry, confused and insecure person, struggling to find my place in this world. I was a gangster wannabe, trying to make a name for myself in the small town of Hereford. And I needed to feel important and respected. And I wanted to be feared. Did this bring me satisfaction? No. Did this bring me peace? No. I knew so many people. There was never any time to be alone. Yet I felt lonely. Ironic, it seems. Have you ever felt lonely? I mean, that loneliness that reaches to the core of your soul and lingers. For little does man perceive what loneliness is and how far it extends. For a crowd is not company and faces are but a gallery of pictures. I had many faces. An array of masks I had collected over the years for each chapter of my life up until then. But a mask merely covers what is hiding underneath the face and doesn't help the mind or the heart of a person. Something happened to me as a young child that tormented my mind and I tried to block out the pain and the memories through relationships, drugs and alcohol. And it worked for some time, but I don't recall feeling any peace. Do you ever feel discontent in your life? Where you think, is this it to life? I ask myself that question so many times. There must be more. I tried everything, but nothing satisfied, nothing filled that hole, that void that every single person is born with. And then one day I felt like I'd had enough. 
and didn't want to live in this life anymore. I had tried everything this world has to offer to bring fulfillment, and yet there was one thing I hadn't done. So I cried out to God and said, God, if you were there, help me. And this changed the entire course of my life forever. Did you know that Jesus said, I come to bring life and life to its full? I thought a full life was knowing everybody, having everything, partying hard and just enjoying life. But the full life Jesus is talking about is that fulfillment, is having love, joy, hope and peace. Have you ever experienced true peace? The Bible describes it as peace that surpasses all understanding. It's indescribable. And that thing I mentioned that happened to me as a child, Jesus has given me peace and has restored that which was once broken. Have you ever lost hope in something? Your children, your relationship, your job, the government, I lost hope. I lost hope in everything, but then I found Jesus. And Jesus gave me hope. He gave me hope, not just for my present, but for my future. He gave me hope, and he gave me contentment. I thought I'd been too bad in my life for Jesus to ever love or accept someone like me. But did you know that the Bible says that this is love? Not that we loved God, but that he loves us. And he sent his only son to die for us and to take the punishment that we deserved. Wow. Now that's truly amazing. So this was my story. From a young, messed up girl who was a bully, living life on the outside yet on the inside was haunted by her own fear and loneliness, declaring never to marry and certainly never to have children, who when calling on the name of Jesus was given a second chance, a chance to have peace, a chance to have hope, a chance to feel loved. Today, I walk with my head held high because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, I have two beautiful children whom I adore and a husband who has my heart. I'm no longer lonely because Jesus lives in me. I no longer fear because I know where I'm going. When this life ends, the new life begins. with Hannah this morning. I know many of you are thinking, well, I've never been into what she's been in. I've never been in the gang scene. I've never been into drugs. And praise God if you've not been pulled into those things. 
But I believe in my heart that there are a number of us here this morning who have been or who are in a state of loneliness. You may have a job and interact with people every day. Every hour of your day may be filled in with relationships with other people that you feel completely and incredibly alone. That's not what God has for you. You may very well have been wrapped up in some of the very same things that Hannah was wrapped up in. In the drugs and in the loneliness. I mean, the drugs and in the gang and the violence and the having people live in fear. God wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you because he loves you that much. Maybe you wear masks. Maybe you're here this morning so that you'll look like a Christian. And on the inside, you're just being torn apart by the turmoil of the lie that you're living. That's not what God has for you. That's not what God has for his children. And he longs for each of us to be his children, to have a relationship with him. Are you discontent this morning? And you just really don't understand why. You're just not happy. God has a joy and a rest and a peace available for you that you cannot imagine. And he wants you to surrender your life to him. You say, Kevin, I don't know where I'm at, but I know there must be more than what I have. How do I get it? The first question I have for you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? How do you get to a state of joy? What is the means to joy? The first step is that relationship, a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no faking it. There's no putting masks on. There's no trying to act like a Christian. It's not going to bring you joy. It's not going to give you salvation for eternity. If you continue to be, try to be satisfied with the masks and satisfied with the charade, your destination is hell for eternity. No, it begins with a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, that relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only foundation for true joy. If you're here this morning and you say, but Kevin, I don't, I don't have joy. Does that mean I don't have a relationship? No, I believe if you have, if you have truly given your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have experienced what true joy is. Maybe just for a fleeting moment until Satan's lies started to crush in on you again. Because that's what Satan likes to do. Even those who are children of God, who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, he tries to pile on circumstances. He tries to crush our joy. He tries to distract us. But the power is available for us to overcome his lies and to see the truth of Jesus Christ. The second thing we must do 
And I say must do. I always hesitate to say that because ultimately it's not about us. It's about God. But the thing we have to realize that we're not doing and ask God to help us is to believe. Remember we talked and we've talked about a number of times about the gentleman who, the father who went to Christ and said, I believe, help my unbelief. He's not looking away from God. But he's lacking in truly embracing what God has to offer. And that's what a lot of us do at varying degrees in our lives. And when we do that, when we allow circumstances to steal our joy, when we allow the lies and the trials that Satan tries to tear us down with to steal our joy, we're telling God that he's not sufficient. In our actions, we're telling God that he's not enough. But he is. And it doesn't change that truth. In Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, that's not what we're willing to do. We're not willing to let go of everything and trust and know that God has it. God's got it. We hang on to everything this world has to offer and then we try to tack God on top of it. And God wants to be, because he knows that he has to be the center of who we are if we're going to obtain what he truly has for us. It's not out of, these, out of this crushing and need, domineering and need for attention for God. It's all about us. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to understand that we have to give up everything that we hold dear to and hold only on to Him. And then He will provide our needs. He will give us great rest and satisfaction in what He has for us. Not what we think we need. The next thing, the next piece of the puzzle to experiencing true joy is to humble ourselves. The state of truly knowing that it's not about us. Yeah, God makes it about us. But it's not about us making it all about us. It's about us coming to that point of pure surrender. I love children's songs. And just because of the simplicity of them. And one song that is very dear to me, and I think about often, is J-O-Y. Joy. You remember how that song goes? It's Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. What a simple description of true humility and surrender to the order that God has established. When we have truly understood what it means to be a child of God, when we've truly laid down our lives 
for what God has for us, then we understand the meaning of that little children's song. It's all about Jesus. And in demonstrating His love, we pour into other people. And then guess who's last? We are. That's what a true Christian looks like. I don't always live out that song. Sometimes, in my flesh, it's about me. And then God in His love reminds me that it's not about me. Again, not to humiliate me and not to crush me, but to bring me back to the true foundation of joy. And if I try to build it on anything that has anything to do with me, it's going to fail. I will only embrace and know true joy when I have surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You say, Kevin, I know all of that. I know these pieces. I know about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. No, that's not a relationship. It can be a part of the manifestation, the public testimony of your relationship. But those things in themselves do not create a relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll say, well, Kevin, I do believe, I believe, I profess, I believe that God is all I need. You say the words, but do you mean it? Do you know it in your heart? And I am so selfish. I serve in all of these areas. It's not about me. Is it not? Well, the final step or the final piece of the puzzle, and it is the most important piece of the puzzle because we can't accomplish any of the other three without asking God to change us. God's the one who makes these things happen. He gives us a relationship with Him. He gives us the strength by His grace to believe and trust Him unquestionably. He changes us and purges us of our selfishness. We cannot do it under our own strength. When we ask God to change us, when we truly open our hearts and pour out our lives and say, God, change me. I am a wretched sinner. Be prepared to change. Because God answers prayers. And He wants you to be in His image. Kind of a tool to step back and look at what this really looks like. Looks like. I want to talk about how we... How do we help others come to the point of joy? How do we do that? How do we help other people find joy? I I see the pieces of the puzzle, how to embrace joy and and truly realize joy in my life. How do we, as the body of Christ, help to bring each other to understand true joy? Well, the first thing we do is to acknowledge that their pain is real. You've heard me say it before, that Jesus meets us where we are, but He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't waller with us in the mud of our despair. He meets us there, and then His love desires to pick us up and to help us up out of the pit, the mire. So when we're relating to each other as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, Don't dismiss the trials, the hardships, the pain that we are facing. 
Embrace them. Acknowledge that it's real. People who are suffering, what they need is Jesus Christ. What they need to embrace is the truth that God is sufficient no matter what they're facing. But they need to know that they need to know that you understand. They need to know that you hear them. Whether it's a brother or sister in the church, whether it's your child or whether it's your spouse, they don't need you to spew scripture at them. They don't need you to give them a one, two, three step by step process how to overcome what they're facing. That's not the first thing they need. The truth is contained in the scripture and the power is there, but they need to know that you hear them, that you understand what they're going through as best you can, not experiencing it yourself. They at least need to know that you're trying to hear their heart and not just trying to fix them. In the process, don't get pulled in to the mire. Don't get down with them and start throwing darts at these people who have wronged them. Listen to them. Lovingly point out to them where they may be looking to, to humanity, to creation, to bring them happiness and point them back to where that true happiness and joy comes from and only in God. It takes time. It takes compassion. It takes love. That's how Jesus did it. How, just think about it. how did Jesus bring you, those of you who are living this morning, are here this morning and say that I, you know, I still struggle, but I do understand the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is in control. I understand that God loves me, and I can be, I'm reminded of that when I face trials. Have you always been to that point? No, you have grown through the years. God has lovingly walked with you. And when you failed, when you sinned, when you messed up, He didn't just come down like a hammer and say, that's it, it's over. And until you straighten up, I'm not even going to talk to you. No, He lovingly and gently reminded you through His Word, through other individuals, through the prompting of His Spirit to your spirit. He lovingly reminded you and helped you get back up. Demonstrate that same patience to fellow believers who are struggling to truly understand joy, to truly embrace the power that God has for them. You say, Kevin, but I feel so weak. I feel so weak in my circumstances. I feel so weak to help anyone else out of their circumstances. The verse I opened with this morning, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that miraculous Occurrence. That same Spirit dwells in each of us. We have no excuse. It's available to us. But it's when we fail to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, when we fail to believe and trust that God is who He says He is, when we're so insistent on having things our way, selfishness. That's what gets between us and God. 
That's what gets between us and that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That power that raised the man, the being from the dead, that carried all of our sins to the grave, that amazing crushing weight. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is available to us today. Are you embracing it? Do you have a joyful life this morning? Are you truly glad to be alive? Have you been transformed by your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you confidently face the problems that life throws at you? Do you enjoy your relationships with others? Do others enjoy their relationships with you? If not, if your answer is no to any of those questions, what are you going to do about it this morning? Jesus came that you might have life. Jesus came that we may experience true joy. Are we just going to throw that away? Are we going to embrace Him as the Lord of our lives? Are we going to believe that He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do? Are we going to acknowledge our selfishness and repeatedly die to ourselves day after day after day as much as it hurts, as much as we'd like to justify ourselves, as much as we'd like to blame it on other people? Are we going to confess and truly acknowledge the sinners that we are and ask God to change us at whatever it costs us, whatever we have to give up? Are we willing to say, God, change me, make me in your image, Lord, so that I can reciprocate the incredible love that you gave me, that you give me constantly? So that I can pour into other people. So that I can live a life of joy. True joy. Even when life happens. When people die who just shouldn't die. When people get sick who just shouldn't get sick. Even in the face of those circumstances, I can still live a life of joy knowing that God is in control and that He's going to take care of me. Are you prepared to do the hard things that need to be done to make that happen? Or are you going to sit behind your masks, sit in your loneliness and pretend that everything's okay? You're the one who's suffering. You're the one who's paying for your refusal to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Don't do it anymore.